Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Where did humanity really come from? How old are we? What is our ultimate purpose? Well, hello and welcome to the 182nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul and opening today was my son and partner in the paranormal, Ben. Nobody from anywhere uh, correctly answered the question from our last live show two weeks ago near what city in Poland was a flying humanoid reported in 2000. The answer, Konievo in northern Poland. All right, so this week's question is, in 1821, what did stonemason David Virtue find embedded in a stone? So if you can handle that, call us locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240 or email us at eno at onworldwide.com. If nobody gets it before the end of the show and you still think you have a shot, drop a line to me at bendingbehindtheparanormal.com. The winner will receive a copy of foot, uh, Fingerprints of the Gods by today's guest. I'm so used to seeing F and saying Quizlips in the Attic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And before we welcome our guest, just a brief word. Uh, thank you again to, the, in case you didn't hear us thanking you last night on CBS, uh, thank you to, again to everyone who was uh, so kind and sending emails and uh, various thoughts, uh, questions uh, after our coast-to-coast appearance on Wednesday. Uh, that was Ben's um, first appearance on that show, and we were delighted by the response. And we will get to the answer the emails as we as soon as we can. There are so many. Uh, we um, uh, usually answer them on the air, and we will uh, usually uh, dedicate a few shows just to answering the emails whenever I'm on coast-to-coast. So we'll be doing that within the next few weeks. And uh, again, we thank you. Uh, Graham Hancock is a British journalist and the author of major international bestsellers, The Sign and the Seal, Fingerprints of the Gods, and Heaven's Mirror. He has written at least eight books that I know of in in the historical and earth mysteries genre and more books in other genres. His books have sold more than five million copies worldwide, must be nice, and have been translated into 27 languages. His lectures, radio, and TV appearances, including two major TV series for Channel 4 in the UK and The Learning Channel in the US, uh, quest for the Lost Civilization and Flooded Kingdoms of the Ice Age have put his ideas before milli- tens of millions of people. He has become recognized as an unconventional thinker who raises controversial questions about humanity's past. Born in Scotland, Mr. Hancock's early years were spent in India. He graduated from Durham University in England in 1973 with first-class honors in sociology. He went on to a career in journalism, writing for many of Britain's leading newspapers, including The Times, The Sunday Times, The Independent, and The Guardian. He was co-editor of New Internationalist magazine from 1976 to 1979 and East Africa correspondent of The Economist from 1981 to 1983. A number of his books outline the plight of third world peoples, but his status as a best-selling author came in 1992 with the publication of The Sign and the Seal, his epic investigation into the mystique and whereabouts today of the lost Ark of the Covenant. This is his first appearance on Behind the Paranormal, and if we keep going, we'll never meet him. So let me just give you his website, GrahamHancock, one word, dot com. All right, Graham Hancock, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you very much. Uh, Ben's just going to give our call-in numbers. All right. So our call-in numbers today are 401-766-1240 locally or 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. And then our email is eno at onworldwide.com. So, Graham, my dad and I sometimes talk about how humans don't seem to fit with the rest of life on this planet, like the whole chain, the food chain and things like that. So that we, it just seems like we don't really belong here. What do you think? Well, I, I couldn't uh, disagree more. Um, I, I think clearly we do belong here. Um, our uh, DNA is uh, 99% the same as the DNA of gorillas and chimpanzees. Uh, so if we don't belong here, then the gorillas and chimpanzees don't belong here either. Well, we don't like them either. No, I'm joking. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, really, um, I, I think the, the argument that we don't belong here, um, cast at a, at, at a purely physical level, um, is, uh, is not going to run. I mean, that is not an argument that you're ever going to win with. Okay. Uh, but cast at the level of consciousness, at the mystery of human consciousness, at the kind of creature that we are, 
uh, at the because that one percent of genetic difference between us and gorillas and chimps uh, means actually a vast and enormous difference. It seems so surprising that uh, that a one percent difference would be so great. By the way, you you should know that we have we share seventy percent of our DNA with fruit flies and snow peas. You know, so we are integrated into the web of life on this planet, but mm-hmm. we seem to be we seem to be in contact with higher powers. Uh, we have this. Um, this extraordinary instrument called consciousness, which uh, which our scientists to this day have not understood or or, or managed to uh, to explain. How does this um, three pounds of jelly inside our skulls uh, render such things as appreciation of uh, beauty, uh, the love of a uh, the, the love of a, a man for a woman, or or or, or, or a fa- parents for their children? How, how how do we get sensations like sorrow and joy? Um, the, the sense of watching an amazing sunset. How, how do we explain all that with this three pounds of jelly inside our skulls? These, to me, are the more interesting mysteries than, than trying to suggest that physically we don't belong here. I, mm-hmm. I just don't see that one ever working. No, I see your point. There's, there's a quote by you uh, that I heard many years ago, and uh, it, it, it sticks with me. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I, I see something every day almost that reminds me of it. And it was when you said, we are a species with amnesia. Yeah. Can you extrapolate on that, please? It's well, yes. Um, the, 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 for, for a long time, uh, best part of 20 years, um, I, my, my non-fiction work has been concerned with the possibility of a forgotten episode in human history. Um, could there have been uh, an earlier high civilization? Uh, one, by the way, that is spoken of in myths and traditions all around the world. Um, in uh, India, they call it Kumari Kandam. In uh, uh, Plato's story passed down to us, uh, they call it Atlantis. Um, there are many different names for this, for this lost global civilization, but virtually every culture has such a myth. And uh, to my mind, that's, uh, that's, that, that raised questions. Really, could this have happened? You know, scholars are, are inclined to just dismiss Atlantis as a story that Plato made up. But uh, the more you investigate this problem, the more it becomes clear that something is missing from our history. And it was really Plato who um, is at the source of that idea of a species with amnesia, because he said that 9,000 years before his time, uh, and he said he received this information from the ancient Egyptians, that 9,000 years before his time there had been a great civilization uh, spread all around the world but centered in the Atlantic Ocean, that was destroyed in a single terrible day and night by gigantic floods and earthquakes. And so complete was the destruction that mankind had to begin again like children with no memory of what went before. Um, and uh, you know what? I think, uh, I think he was absolutely right. I think at the end of the last ice age, there was a gigantic, gigantic cataclysm. Uh, there's no doubt there was. Sea levels rose by 400 feet swallowed up more than 10 million square miles of land uh, all around the world, and pretty much at the date that Plato uh, suggests, around 12,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I say we're a species with amnesia, because we've forgotten an earlier episode of high civilization. We did have to begin again like children, uh, and all we have are myths uh, to remind us of this forgotten past. Well, I uh, must say it's, it's certainly well put. I don't flatter myself to think that you've read my last book, but I, I do cite the uh, the Hopi legend and the legends of a number of other people that this has happened more than once. Yes. Up to four times in, in, in their legends and the Aborigines, etc. I mean, what, um, I, I, I was obviously we're dealing with, with vast amounts of empty time that we know nothing about. Yeah. So yeah. do you but, think but it's but happened you... more than once? Well, I, 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 think it's, I think it's possible that it's happened more than once. Um, the evidence that I have relates entirely to the period at the end of the last ice age, which is around 12, 12 and a half thousand years ago. And there's really strong indications that we lost a big part of our story then. Um, did it happen more often than that? Um, it depends how much you want to fight with mainstream science, you know. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but the one thing that mainstream science really does not have an answer to um, is the suggestion that a, that a gigantic cataclysm struck the Earth around 12, 12 and a half thousand years ago. That really did happen, and, and nobody can dispute that, and we call it the end of the last ice age. Okay. Now, the, uh, the idea of paleocontact, 
enters in here, the idea that there was contact from outside influences, whether it be aliens or interdimensional, you know, whatever you want to say, uh, yeah. somebody beyond, uh, w- does that enter into your work? I, I, yes, it certainly yeah. does, and it enters into my most, my more recent work. It enters into my last non-fiction book, which is called Supernatural, mm-hmm. uh, and it enters into my new book, just published, Entangled, The Eater of Soul, which is my first novel. Uh, it's a fantasy adventure novel, and it's set in two different time frames, in the Stone Age, 24,000 years ago, uh, and today. Uh, one character is, is uh, a young woman in the Stone Age, and one is a young woman living today in modern Los Angeles, and they are entangled and brought together by supernatural forces uh, in a battle of good against evil. It's basically uh, a demon and an angel working through working through human beings um, to uh, uh, well the demon seeks to destroy all human potential and the angel seeks to save us from that but unable to intervene directly in the physical realm uh, she works through human consciousness to lead us to make the right choices i think we've been in contact with uh, supernatural beings and i'm going to use that word advisedly uh, throughout the whole of the human story i think it's it's another one of these great forgotten aspects of the human character in the modern world. We've become so materialistic, so focused on the material realm, that even to speak of the supernatural is, is considered ludicrous. Uh, but, but actually, um, we have a vast amount of, uh, of intriguing phenomena here. And I believe that the latest uh, element, the latest expression of this uh, contact with other realms is the expression that we call today UFOs and alien abductions. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were a shaman in a hunter-gatherer or tribal society, you wouldn't speak of aliens. You'd speak of spirits uh, who come and uh, abduct us uh, into their realm and return us changed. Uh, if you were in medieval Europe, you wouldn't speak of aliens either, but you would speak of fairies and elves who come to abduct us and take us off into their world uh, and then return us uh, to this one, sometimes with very large periods of missing time. Uh, and what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that all three of these very different, supposedly very different domains, fairies in the Middle Ages, spirits with shamans and hunter-gatherer societies and aliens today, are actually all just three different names for the same thing, the same phenomenon viewed through different cultural spectacles. Um, and then it becomes very interesting because just in, in, instead of confining us ourselves solely to the very intriguing body of information about UFOs and alien abductions today, we can add uh, to the evidence that we already have about that the testimony from earlier time. And this testimony uh, goes right back to the painted caves of uh, Europe more than 30,000 years ago, three zero thousand years ago, when you have um, uh, images of the kind of creature that we would call greys today actually painted on the walls, for example, of Peshmerl Cave. Uh, in France, um, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. So I think, we've ha- I think we have an ongoing contact with beings that are not of this earth. However, um, I think that we may be jumping too quickly to the conclusion that those are simply physical beings like you and I uh, who come from another planet in this huge universe and who have mastered high technology that enables them to cross interstellar space. It may be that. But it may be much more mysterious than that. And the the research that I've done uh, and the evidence that I put forward, and I explore this again uh, in my novel Entangled, the evidence that I put forward suggests that we are dealing with an interdimensional uh, phenomenon here uh, and that that is most likely what UFOs are, that they are vehicles for crossing the veil between what quantum physicists call one dimension and another. Well, you just answered my next question, which was getting beyond the cultural parameters. And the, the UFO alien, uh, you know, alien planet thing is, I suppose, our own cultural parameter. What are these things really? And you just answered that question um, from our. Well, own I think that I think we don't know what they are really. I mean, I've I've been following a, a little bit this 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 latest sighting of of, of UFOs all around the world, actually, in the last in the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and and. Um, most of, the, most of the popular media either ridicule this and pretend that it's just sort of children's balloons stuck together and going up in the sky, or, or else um, there's a tendency to say, oh, this must be aliens from another planet. 
but I think we should keep our, until actually all the evidence is in, I, we have a, what we have here is a phenomenon, an incredibly mysterious phenomenon. Um, and, and this phenomenon is both physical and psychic. Uh, and we need to be able to account for the psychic elements of the phenomenon uh, as well as the physical elements of the phenomenon. And if I may mention some very important research that has been done in this area. Please. That is the research of Dr. Rick Strassman at the University of New Mexico, who in the 1990s received permission from the federal government uh, to give a very potent hallucinogen called dimethyltryptamine, DMT, to human volunteers. And this study went on for five years. Now, what was extraordinary was a, a number of things were extraordinary, but a couple of points. Firstly, that although these volunteers were not comparing notes, uh, during their visionary journey under the influence of DMT, uh, they all seemed to enter the same parallel realm and to encounter the same entities there and came back with identical reports, uh, which is very puzzling because hallucinations are supposed to be just our brain on drugs, not any kind of real perception. But if dozens of different people all perceive the same things in these visionary states, then we have a very interesting problem uh, to account for. The second aspect of this was that uh, more than half of the volunteers, uh, although they were not physically abducted because they were lying right there on a hospital bed in the University of New Mexico in front of Dr. Strassman, although they were not physically abducted, they reported experiences that were identical, and, identical to and, and indistinguishable from the experiences that have been regularly, regularly reported by people who believe they've been abducted by UFOs um, uh, all over the world today. There, there were just astonishing, astonishing parallels. And this raises the, the question um, that the particular uh, substance that was being given at the University of New Mexico, DMT, is actually something that's already present in the human body. It's produced in the pineal gland in the brain, a very interesting area of the brain. Um, and the suggestion is that UFO abductees may be people who spontaneously overproduce DMT in the pineal gland, enter a trance state, and have these experiences. And it's really crucial to emphasize that that doesn't mean that the experiences are not real. Absolutely. Maybe DMT is like, which the body itself produces, is like a lens, a sixth sense, which allows us to see into other realms, other dimensions, that interpenetrate our own, but that are normally not accessible to our senses. Uh, but if the receiver wavelength of the brain can be retuned, we can pick up other levels of reality and gain contact with those levels of reality. And I think that this is actually the way to go uh, in invest investigating these mysterious phenomena. We must be able to account for their psychic aspects, that they can occur in visionary states, and we must be able to account for their physical aspects, that they show up on radar screens and that they actually stick implants under our skins, which can be removed um, surgically. Uh, we, have, we have a very intriguing phenomenon here, but we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that it's just physical beings like you and I coming from a very faraway planet. They may actually be coming to us from another dimension, and to my mind, that's even more interesting. certainly is. Have you ever worked in a psychiatric hospital? I've not worked in a psychiatric hospital myself. No. Well, I have, and I think that ha were you to do so or had you done so back in the days when there were far more inpatients than there are today, you would any doubts whatsoever that you had about what you just said would be put to rest. Right. It rings very, very true. We're going to take a brief commercial break, and uh, Ben's got a few questions for our guest, Graham Hancock, and we'll be right back on WON 1240 AM and onworldwide.com, right? <laughs> <laughs> so stay with us. Okay, we're going to a commercial, and that's me, I guess. We just uh, have been mentioning lately uh, on the hoof here that uh, a lot of people have been asking where to get my books. And uh, certainly after the Coast to Coast appearance of last week, there, there's been a lot of inquiry about that. Certainly our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, which gives you lots of information about our guests, uh, forthcoming and past and uh, also gives you information about what Ben and I are working on and things of this kind, will uh, be a place you can also buy my books, uh, Footsteps in the Attic, Faces at the Window, and uh, the latest uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. 
Uh, I've also, I had as a historian, written books about New England history, and uh, that's uh, not available on that site, but you can get those from Amazon, uh, as well as all the others. So that answers the question, too. Locally here in the Blackstone Valley in uh, New England, you can receive some uh, information about my books and buy the books themselves at the Museum of Work and Culture gift shop. They particularly ask that I mention them. At Market Square in Woonsocket, the museum is a, a, a facility of the Rhode Island Historical Society and has Disney-quality exhibits and lots and lots of great things to see. Uh, and its particular theme is the industrial history of the Blackstone Valley with the many ethnic groups who came in, particularly the uh, French Canadians, and what they went through and how they lived and how they worked uh, for many, many uh, years here in the valley and paved the way for us who live here now. So that's uh, that's our break, and we're going to go back right now, because I can't wait, to our discussion with Graham Hancock, author, journalist, and uh, I, I, all-around great guy, in my opinion, because I love, I've loved his books for many, many years. Uh, theorist on the uh, origins of the human race, among many other things, something that has made Ben and I very interested and gotten us uh, interested in that, that particular kind of work uh, ourselves. So, uh, Ben, uh, you have a question uh, you wanted to proceed <coughs> with. I guess he's already touched on this, but go ahead. All right, well, as my dad said, you already touched on this. So, in your 2005 book, Supernatural Meetings with the Ancient Teachers of Mankind, you talk about shamanism and the origins of religion. So, can you share your ideas with the listeners? Yeah, I think it's... Um, uh, we forget... Uh, living in, in modern, industrial, highly technolo- technological societies um, with uh, established uh, mainstream monotheistic religions which tell us how the world works. Um, we, we forget that all of these religions had, a, had an origin and that if you go back, um, if you go back to the beginning of um, any of the three great monotheistic faiths, whether Christianity, Juda- Judaism, or Islam, uh, you will find uh, essentially uh, what, what I would call a shamanistic experience, the kind of experience that is still being undergone by shamans in tribal and hunter-gatherer societies today. Thus, for example, if you take the case of Judaism, Moses uh, in front of the burning bush, I mean, here's a human being uh, witnessing a bush which is in flames but which is not consuming itself, and from the bush utters forth a voice. Uh, this, is a, this is a classic experience in altered states of consciousness, in trance states of, of shamans. Um, St. Paul on the Damascus Road, struck by a blinding light, a, a huge revelation comes over him. He changes his course and, and sets the whole path for, for Christianity. The Prophet Muhammad in a cave, um, shivering, cold, hungry, isolated, uh, Suddenly, a, a supernatural being appears to him, who he construes as the angel Gabriel, who gives him the whole text of the Quran. So let's remember that visionary experiences lie at the heart uh, of all of the three great monotheistic religions. And that being the case, let's go talk to the people, for example, in the Amazon jungle or in the Kalahari Desert in southern Africa, who actually are still experiencing their religion that way. And these are shamans. And the essence of uh, shamanism uh, all around the world uh, is altered states of consciousness. Shamans do not have their visionary encounters in the alert, problem-solving state of consciousness that we value in modern society. They have these visionary encounters in trance states. And while most of our science... Hello? Uh, Yes. Yes, hi. Sorry, I had a huge beep there. While While most of our scientists would say that those trance states are not producing any valuable information, uh, I would actually completely disagree with them. I think very valuable information uh, is being provided in those so-called trance states, extremely valuable and important information, which which we should consider the possibility that the information is real. It's again this suggestion that, that, you know, consciousness, as I said at the beginning, is the great mystery. We don't know what consciousness is. Um, we, we, ha- we have no idea whatsoever. We think that it's generated by the brain, the same way that a factory makes cars. But actually the relationship of consciousness to the brain may be more like the relationship of a television set to a television signal. Um, so th- this, this explains immediately such phenomena as near-death experiences. Uh, you know, if you pick up a TV set and smash it on the floor, uh, the picture will go away. But you'd be quite wrong to imagine that the signal has gone away. 
Um, and, and this would be the case with death, that consciousness survives death because consciousness is not generated by the brain, but mediated by the brain. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, then we have to consider the possibility that we can retune the receiver wavelength of the brain. Right now, we're very plugged in, very connected to the material and physical realm. And actually, we need to be to function in this physical world. But mysticism and science are coming together on the agreement that there are multiple dimensions which interpenetrate our own, which are not normally accessible to our senses. And what altered states of consciousness may do, however they are induced, whether by electromagnetic fields, whether by certain kinds of rhythmic dancing, whether by the consumption of visionary plants, such as ayahuasca uh, in the Amazon, what these altered states of consciousness may do is retune the receiver wavelength of the brain and allow us briefly to gain contact with entities and intelligences from other realms that normally we can't see and make contact with. And, okay. and, and this is where the new research is going. The new research into consciousness and the new research into quantum physics are coming together uh, on the recognition that this mystery of consciousness uh, is one that we need to address. Yeah, uh, Ben's going to ask you a question which is going to lead into another question that uses the origins of religion as a, as a springboard, but we'll, we'll get into something deeper. Go ahead. Okay, so in 1930s, Dr. Stephen Langdon and others found that our ancestors started out as worshippers of one god and then ended up worshipping many gods. So what happened? Well, I, I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't agree with uh, Dr. Stephen Langdon on that. Oh, right. Well, it takes care of that. As simply as I can say, um, I think that, uh, that, that, that this is not true at all. Um, if, you look at, uh, if you look at all ancient civilizations that we know of, ancient Egypt, uh, you know, Sumer, uh, ancient India, um, actually they have, they have uh, multiple, multiple deities. I mean, huge numbers of deities. They, ancient Egypt has, has got at least a hundred different uh, different deities, and that's already uh, five thousand years ago. We can't know exactly who or what our ancestors worshipped in the Stone Age. I actually don't believe that they worshipped any deity. Uh, I believe that they were connected to spirit realms uh, and were and were in contact with higher powers. But whether they conceived of those higher powers as one single all-powerful deity uh, I doubt very much so I actually see it the other way around I see I see the worship of multiple deities uh, and and within the last 2,000 years this has been forced down um, for no very good reason uh, into worship of one single deity I do see that the worship of one single deity is a kind of decline actually or a kind of fall it's elevating the tribal chief to the position of God uh, in a way, and there's no there's no justification for it in visionary experience in ancient culture. There's no justification for this at all. Okay, go ahead, Ben. So, if we were connected to everything before, what happened to us? Well, we got shut down. Our faculties were closed down. We became more and more, and and this is goes along with the evolution of human societies, the building of cities, uh, the the creation of industries and technologies and vast agricultural processes. We got very, very, very focused on the material world. And the more focused we became on the material world, the less alert we were to non-physical intelligences. You know, we have the prejudice that our intelligence and our consciousness is bound up in our bodies and is caused or generated by our bodies. But there's no proof of that. It could well be the case that consciousness is as old as the universe itself and that it temporarily incarnates in physical form. Once in physical form, we forget our spiritual origin and we get locked, locked into the physical realm. And I would say that the process of the last 2,000 years has been locking humanity down into the physical realm and satisfying our spiritual needs, not with experiences, but with teaching. Most people who practice Christianity or Judaism or Islam are actually not having encounters with the supernatural entity that they call God. They are receiving a body of doctrine and lore from the previous generation, and they are accepting it uh, without question. Uh, but in ancient times, there was a, a constant contact with spiritual realms and with the beings uh, who, who are believed to inhabit them. And a further point, um, there's a wonderful body of texts called the Gnostic texts that were found at Nag Hammadi in Upper Egypt in 1945, 
they were actually written down um, around 300 years after Christ. Um, and these contain an astonishing uh, vision of the nature of the human condition. Um, they see us as a, as a battleground uh, between cosmic forces, between the forces of darkness and the forces of light, between the forces of evil and the forces of good. Uh, and that the, what the forces of darkness are constantly trying to do is to shut us down, to prevent us from realizing our full potential, um, to deny us our connection with the realm of spirit. Uh, and, and, and what the angelic and positive forces are seeking to do is to waken us up, uh, and to allow us to understand that we are not simply material beings, that we are both matter and spirit. Um, so I would say that over the last 2,000 years, uh, this battle has gone very much in the direction of the demonic forces, and mankind has been shut off from spiritual realms. And, and during my, my research, when I've been down uh, in the Amazon um, and working with shamans uh, in the Amazon and talked to them about the horrendous condition of the world today, and why the world is in such a horrific mess and why Western society is so polluting, so violent, so, so cruel, uh, they say it's because we have severed our connection with spirit. If we want to put the world right, we have to reconnect with spirit. And that doesn't mean reconnecting with dogma and doctrine of religions where nobody's having any kind of experiences at all. It means direct connection with spiritual realm. And that means visionary experiences. You know what's very interesting about that? Like in, in ancient China, like like early early China, when the first philosophies were being developed, like Taoism and Confucianism, Taoism was more to the, let's just go away from the cities and just hang out in like the mountains and stuff and just be mm -hmm. by ourselves. Yeah. So, and just to reconnect with nature and re reconnect with the Tao, with like, yeah. with like harmony and stuff. So I can see how what you're saying correlates with that kind of philosophy as just an example of this. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does correlate correlate with that philosophy. There's so much noise in our society, just so much noise. Consider, you know, 24 hours a day rolling news and reality TV and, you know, just the huge amount of information that we're constantly bombarded with, which is all about the physical realm. No wonder our senses have come closed down to the wider reality that surrounds us. And, and really, if we want to understand many of the mysteries of the, of the human species and the place we find ourselves today... We need to open our eyes again uh, to, those, uh, to, to those wider realms and, and to the forces uh, that are at work within them. Okay, uh, well, we have a, we have a, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we have a call. And uh, hello, uh, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Very good, thank you. I just wanted to say I've listened to your show a few times, and I find it very interesting. And this evening I find it particularly interesting. Um, and I was just curious whether one of the Enos people or your guest would, would comment on uh, if, if we perceive another dimension as aliens or, or uh, spirits, what do you think that the other dimension, uh, how do they perceive us when we make contact with them in these states? Well, I have an opinion on that, but I'll defer to our guest. Okay. Whose opinion may be that's different. A, that's, an that's an excellent question and, 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 and an excellent point. Um, it may be that these other realms can see us all the time, um, and we uh, can only see them in certain states of consciousness. One of the interesting things about Rick Strassman's research with DMT at the University of New Mexico was that the volunteers, uh, it once entered the visionary state, would find themselves in what seemed like a, a high-technology room where uh, work was being done on their bodies, and the, the beings in that space were already prepared for them. They, they, they knew that they were coming. Um, if you look back, uh, as I mentioned earlier, at the Gnostic text, um, it's very clear that, that we are perceived by the spiritual realm of beings of enormous importance because we straddle both worlds. We are not pure spirit or pure matter. We are a mixture of matter and spirit. Um, and this uh, makes us uh, incredibly important in the universe. It means that choices and decisions we make uh, may rebound out far beyond the human realm uh, and throughout the universe and throughout all dimensions of the universe. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the suggestion. Uh, and certainly m my experiences uh, in visionary states, and I spent quite a lot of time down in the Amazon jungle working with shamans, 
working with the visionary brew uh, ayahuasca uh, is that we are dealing with intelligences who are very concerned about what we are doing uh, and who wish to influence us for good or for evil. Well, one question, and I'll ask our, uh, our caller to just remain on. Maybe he has an opinion on this. Our main concern, in my 40 years of paranormal research, my main concern has been what are these beings telling us and can we trust them? Now, obviously, the, the ones, well, you refer to them as demonic, I might call them parasitical. Yeah. Um, what, what's your opinion about information we receive? Can it be trusted? I think we have to go with our gut feelings on this the same way as we do with our gut feelings about fellow human beings. Yeah, uh, I, we, I agree we, with that. We can't be sure. Yeah, we can't be sure that we trust fellow human beings either. Um, we we weigh them up uh, over a process of dialogue and inquiry. We begin to get a sense of the other person's um, truthfulness uh, or deceptiveness, and and I believe that this is the case also with paranormal. Uh, encounters with uh, with spirit entities or, or or aliens or however we construe them. Yeah, tell us that, about it. <laughs> that the way you know that that, that that consistent contact with them will reveal the truth as to whether we are dealing with um, with uh, deceivers or truth sayers. Hmm. Um, and 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 it's a it's a difficult journey. We have to we have to undertake that journey and and figure it out. But my 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 own my own sense is that there really is a battle of good against evil, um, and. Uh, we all know in our hearts uh, when we're making a choice that feeds the dark side. Uh, and I would suggest uh, that the one thing, the one thing we absolutely can have certainty over and power over is our own choices. Uh, and we should be careful not to feed the dark side uh, because that may not only have an effect on our lives, but it may have an effect um, throughout the universe. All right. Does our caller have any more questions? No, that, that, was, that took care of it, and I thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for the show. Okay. Thank you. Um, I had one question here. We mentioned good and evil and, and many, many other subjective terms that essentially are uh, assumed to be from our own point of view. In other words, uh, people uh, theologically, people are always coming after me because I have a theological background. and say, well, you know, if God is perfect, why didn't he make a perfect creation? I say, how do you know it's not perfect? Yeah. It's because it's not perfect from our point of view. So when you, when, when you mention the notion of good and evil, fr from whose point of view are you speaking? Obviously, uh, I, from our I, I, I believe I believe that um, that that's like asking from whose point of view are you speaking when you speak of gravity or electricity. Really, uh, I think these are fundamental forces of the universe. Huh. Uh, they are, uh, they are there, and uh, we have an intuitive guide within ourselves uh, that tells us uh, that that tells us which choices uh, we we are making. I don't think these are relative and, and uh, socially determined uh, concepts. I think that they are fundamental concepts. And what defines us as human beings uh, is the is is the choice that we that we make. Okay. Uh, and we we may be misled uh, into taking an evil action, which has evil consequences, which causes great misery and suffering. Uh, we may believe that we're doing the good thing, uh, but we're being misled there. We are not following the true path. Have you ever heard of the Collins elite? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, uh, neither had I until. <laughs> Quite recently, supposedly, it is a group within the government or governments today, mm -hmm. uh, U.S. or British, whatever, uh, that believes very much what you have spoken about this evening, that, that we are, uh, the aliens in particular, whom most people conceive, as you say, as interplanetary travelers, are actually uh, demonic or parasitical entities feeding upon us, which is what we, Ben and I, run into all the time. Uh, yeah. From our point of view, I mean, it's, and and uh, I we intend to go further into that. We'll probably get in trouble as we usually do. <laughs> but um, have you heard of um, official groups, whether within governments or corporations or whatever, who are saying what you are saying? Who are saying that there is a certain danger to the human race, certain good choices need to be made and bad choices avoided, things yeah. of this kind. Okay. Yes, I, I have, um, uh, but, but here I have to get elusive, you know, because some people who are insiders have, have, have said that to me, have right. said that, yeah, yes, there is a visitor phenomenon, uh, but these visitors uh, are not uh, simply beings from other planets. Uh, it's much more problematic uh, than that. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's an accident that every culture in the world, since the beginning of recorded history, 
has had this concept of angels and demons. Um, I don't think that all of the visitors are parasitic. Uh, I think that, uh, that out there are a vast range of forces, and some of them truly want the best for us and mm-hmm. want to guide us onto the good path. And I think the problem is, you know, is selecting uh, between the two. Yes. Uh, especially when we are in the we are in the role of bewildered um, cattle almost in this respect. We do not really understand what's going on. We see certain phenomena, we react to them, we get incredibly excited or upset, but we don't really understand. We don't have the full picture, whereas the visitors do. Hmm. Uh, so, so we're at a disadvantage and we need, to, we need to strengthen our hands. This is, again, why I come back to shamanism, because shamans are the only people on this planet who are dealing with these realms proactively. Uh, they are going into those realms fully uh, balanced and in control of themselves. And their specific mission there is to negotiate with spiritual forces on behalf of their tribe or their group. I often refer to myself as a sort of paranormal socialist. I mean, I think that, that all of us have the potential within us to do shamanic activities balanced properly and, and, and properly informed about what it is and how it works. I think everyone should have a certain hand in doing that for themselves. What say you? Hey. I, I completely agree. I think this, I think this, is, this, this realm of experience is what is missing uh, from the modern world. Um, and and uh, huge processes are, are underway now uh, to bring shamanism back uh, uh, into the West. I've mentioned this mysterious uh, brew from South America several times from the Amazon jungle. It's called ayahuasca. That means the vine of souls. Um, it's been used in the Amazon for thousands and thousands of years. There's excellent archaeological evidence uh, su- supporting that. And in, and in the Amazon, they believe that it is the vehicle that takes you across the veil uh, into the realms of spirit. Um, and having worked with this brew myself, I've drunk it more than 30 times in the last five years, uh, I would say that that's, uh, that that's exactly uh, what it does. Okay. Um, and, and, and interestingly, the vine, the vine of souls, is spreading out uh, around the world. You can find ayahuasca ceremonies available uh, in all uh, major industrial countries. Uh, It's already been legalized uh, by the Supreme Court uh, in Oregon, New Mexico, and California in the United States because a number of of Brazilian uh, Brazilian, um, uh, churches, uh, syncretic churches, uh, mix shamanism with Christianity and use ayahuasca as their sacrament and their right to use ayahuasca has been defended by the Supreme Court under America's excellent laws of religious freedom. It's because mm-hmm. they're so, not dumb and use it for recreational reasons. Say again? They're not, it's because they understand the purpose of it and they don't exactly. use it for recreational reasons. They understand that this is a very serious business and to use visionary substances for recreational purposes is a hideous mistake which is being made by our youth and I would say is being in, in, in some bizarre ways encouraged by our societies. We need to understand when we talk of hallucinogens and visionary plants that we are dealing with very, very, very serious matters that take us into the depths of personal inquiry uh, and right into the heart of mysterious realms. And such a thing should be done with reverence, with respect, with full adult responsibility and never, 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 never for recreation. Well, that's very well put. We, we always stress that any contact with others, with a capital O, is a sacred act. Yes. And uh, certainly we, we never, we always, and I have to say, there's a bit of a disclaimer, we, all, we never encourage anyone to uh, take drugs or to do anything of this, of this sort. Uh, we are simply presenting the information. That's okay. right. This is okay. a country with freedom of speech, which is, a, which is a really good thing. I hope you will allow me, because I sense that our time is running out, to appeal to the readers of my non-fiction books over the last 20 years. Yes, please tell us about your books. Bestsellers like Fingerprints of the Gods and Heaven's Mirror and The Message of the Sphinx and so on, The Mars Mystery and so on. I would appeal to my readers, please give my fiction a chance. I have discovered that to express extraordinary ideas, uh, sometimes fiction is the best way to go. And well that's, why I've, that's why I've written this novel, Entangled, uh, The Eater of Souls. We've been talking about angels and demons and the battle of good against evil. That's what this novel is all about. It's about a, a demonic force that, that, that is present in the Stone Age that is seeking to lead our ancestors, human ancestors, anatomically modern humans, to exterminate uh, our cousins, the Neanderthals. 
who are all goodness and all truth and all light. Uh, and that if we do that, then the, de- the demon will be able to jump forward into the 21st century and manifest in physical form here. Wow. And it, be- it becomes a battle of good against evil with two young women heroines, one in 21st century Los Angeles, one 24,000 years ago in the Stone Age, who are brought together by an angelic force to do battle with this demon and his, uh, and his minions. Um, and uh, the vehicle by which they establish contact with one another across the barrier of time, because time is also one of those illusions, uh, is in altered states of consciousness. When we're in our bodies, uh, it's very difficult to uh, experience uh, other realms. But, but once we leave the confines of the body and travel out of body, as we do in near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, then anything becomes possible. Very good. All right, so if you could just uh, tell us uh, about your website, where people can get your books, and what you're working on, please, uh, well, please if, do. Well, if, if, uh, if people would check out www.grahamhancock.com, G-R-A-H-A-M-H-A-N-C-O-C-K, and there is a button right on the opening page you can press to go to Entangled, which is about the new novel. Four chapters of the novel are available free online there, so people can make up their own mind. And there's a video trailer uh, for the novel uh, as well. So that's grahamhancock.com, and go straight to the Entangled section, and you'll find all the latest information. Very good. And you're on a U.S. book tour right now, eh? I'm on a U.S. book tour. I've been, I've been <coughs> traveling around America for the last uh, three weeks, um, and uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a buzz. I've been, uh, I've been in uh, Boston. I've been in Portland, Maine. I've been in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Portland, Oregon. I've just spent five days at a retreat in southern Utah. I'm speaking to you from Salt Lake City right now, and I'm on my way to New York uh, tomorrow. And oh, the my schedule, goodness. The schedule of my lectures and presentations is also up on the website. Very good. Well, thank you for your work, and if you go by Skinwalker Ranch, give the entities there our regards. And uh, thank you again for, the, for the, giving us an hour of your time and your busy schedule. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Very good, and I hope it will be the first time uh, of many times. Thank yeah. you. Very good. Thanks S- a lot. Safe travel. Okay. Have a good Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Graham Hancock, everyone, author par excellence, British journalist, and great thinker. Certainly, I don't agree with everything they said, but <coughs> there we go. That, that's what it takes in the exchange of ideas. Yeah. Okay, we've got time for a little bit of a getting into some of the email here. We're going to give whole shows to this email because there are piles of it. This is from Jane in Fort Myers, Florida, and she's asking about the haunted doll. Oh. I'll give you that background after. All right. Do you have a link to the video of the haunted doll moving? That's such a long question. I don't know if I can answer. All right. Essentially, what, what uh, Jane is referring to is a uh, came up on Coast to Coast. There was a, a case in Maine. Ben and I are still working on it. We're following up on it. And it had to do, one of the many, many events that occurred in this case was that there was a doll, which I don't believe was actually haunted, but the uh, video of what happened and the owner of the camera of the video and the, and the fellow who owned the doll, the property uh, manager of, of, a, of a resort in Maine said that this thing would come in. You can see it in the video, uh, would be played with by some sort of entity that would come in and there's another shot of, of a rather gnomish looking figure uh, by a door and uh, th- this we are working on getting these on the websites uh, there is however a picture of the actual doll at uh, newenglandghosts.com that's one of our websites and if you look at uh, from the links on the main page uh, meet some New England ghosts you will go to the main page from there and there's a picture of the doll there again I don't think this is like this um you know, Chucky here or any of these silly things. I think that this this uh, entity, uh, whether it was playing with the dollar or anything, but there is some movement in this video. We're trying to get, uh, we don't own the rights to that. It's owned by the owner, but uh, we're going to try to get some of that online and see what... Um what people think of it, but but you can see at least a picture of this doll at that point. Uh, NewEnglandGhosts.com on the Ghosts of New England page. Okay, here is, uh, yeah, i got a few minutes here. This is from uh, Patrick's Patrick in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, so, uh, oh, you always give me the long ones. I'm sorry. All right, um, excellent show, very comprehensive. Uh, please do another. My son is a physicist and a philosopher, and I can't wait to tell him about the two of you. 
How do I distinguish latent energy of the love sounding of my wife's loving voice from an imitator, possibly parasitic? It's been going on infrequently for 32 years, regardless of where we have lived. I try not to be sensitive to this and other things, i.e. footsteps, sounds of other people's routines, doorknobs physically turning, and... um, uh, aberrations uh, verified by my wife and daughter at age 10 the Ouija board moved on its own and my luck has been bad since thank you Patrick uh, Staunton I don't want to give a full name alright well uh, thank you Uh, there are a number of little red flags in here one is obviously using a Ouija board it was not a good idea um, people say, well, you know, what's the matter with a Ouija board as opposed to, well, like what Ben does or what I do sometimes, you communicate with entities. Well, it's the difference between encounter and intrusion. If you knock down the wall of your house with a bulldozer, which is equivalent to using a Ouija board, and, you know, the neighbor's dog can come in, the neighbor's cat can come in, you don't know what's going to come in, and all sorts of things can happen. When you happen to encounter another being uh, of one sort or another, good or bad, uh, that's not um, not an intrusion. Again, it's an encounter. So I think that you may have opened the door to some problems here, uh, Patrick. You also may be extremely sensitive. Much of what you describe is often experienced by sensitive people. I'm a little concerned with the voice imitating your loved one uh, or loved ones. That's sometimes a characteristic of, of a parasitical case. Sometimes these things will manifest literally through uh, audio phenomena. The voice you'll hear will be someone you think you, you know, who is uh, uh, inv- someone in your family and you uh, they get you stirred up and you feed them therefore by getting uh, angered and annoyed and it's not your loved one at all. So I think uh, you might want to keep in touch with us on this one. This is a, little, a couple of red flags in here. Alright, well we're coming down to the end of our time here and uh, wanted to uh, just do our end of the show announcements here. Uh, All right, so next work. week, tune in to our regular Sunday show, October 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on CBS News Sky Radio and www.newskyradio.com, when we'll welcome Ted Phillips, founder of the world's largest database of physical evidence for UFOs. And uh, well, shortly, CBS is expanding us into the Pittsburgh market, uh, starting, I believe, December 1st. And uh, so we'll be um, talking to you down in Pittsburgh other than on the Internet. Uh, check our show schedule and website at BehindTheParanormal.com and your local radio schedules for CBS uh, shows, uh, where, where they carry us and what cities. And remember, you can always get free podcasts of all our shows uh, here on WON and uh, uh, on CBS and on Achieve Radio, our specials, uh, at uh, BehindTheParanormal.com. We have over 200 shows podcasts there. And many thanks to our wonderful producer, Craig Pelletier, and we'll see you next Monday, October 25th, on onworldwide.com and WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley. And uh, our next Drive Time edition, as we welcome author and ghost researcher David J. Pitkin, author of New England Ghosts. Funny, same name as our website. He's researched ghosts as long as I have and come to wildly different conclusions. I can't wait for that conversation. All right, so in the meantime, we leave you with a quote from my dad. Keep your head high and your eyes forward and pursue your cosmic journey. See you next time. See you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.